0: We are delighted to be joined by author, Joe Rigney. Hello and welcome to Exposite the Word, Joe. Uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, Great, great to have you here. Before we talk about your brand new book, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Um, Yeah, so uh, I'm a uh, professor of theology and literature at uh, Bethlehem College and Seminary in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's uh, a school that was uh, founded uh, by Dr. John Piper. Mm. And uh, I'm also a pastor here in the Twin Cities. Um, In Saint Paul, um, one of a team of pastors at at a uh, church plant. Uh, Well, we're five years in, so I don't know. I don't know when you graduate from being a church (laughs) plant to being to being a real church. Uh, But we're five five and a half years in now, and uh, so I'm a pastor there at Cities Church. And uh, I uh, am married to my wonderful wife Jenny, and we have three boys. Um, Sam, who's eleven, Peter, who's nine, and Jack, who is twenty months,
0: yeah.
1: And then, and then, just a few uh, weeks ago, we added a uh, a puppy to our lives because <laughs> it, they weren't you know, twenty twenty wasn't hectic. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> so we decided that a puppy would just just cap it off. So we've got Crockett. Yeah,
0: Our golden doodle. Amazing. I'm now going to tear up all of the questions I had planned for you, and now focus the the, the interview on puppies, babies, and church okay. planting, Joe. <laughs> there you go. It's perfect. I'm I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. So just really quickly, how, how have you found the for five years of planting a church? I'm really interested in that, Joe.
1: Uh, it's been great. So we we planted out of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Um, which was where uh, Pastor Piper was at for you know thirty years. Yeah. Uh, so we planted in twenty fifteen um, as a as a team.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so there we, we planted with the kind of we, we didn't do the typical sort of airdrop the church planner in. Yeah. Um, but we'd all lived in the Twin Cities for um, at that point um, about 10, 10 to fifteen years each. Yeah. And uh, and so we were all really good friends. Uh, the, the, the kind of core pastoral team uh, we're all close friends. We'd walk through a lot of suffering together. Um, just in life and, uh, had, had been in the same small group and that sort of thing. And so then we just kind of like emerged out of the church yeah. and, uh, and planted with about 40 or so, uh, initial members. So it's kind of a, um, you know, a little bit of an unusual way of, of church planning, but yeah. uh, it was also really great. And so we've, uh, we've grown now, uh, we have about 300 members wow. presently yeah, and, uh, eight pastors, um. Nine pastors now. I think we added. We had added another one. So, but we yeah. pastor and elder for us are interchangeable. I don't know yeah. what the, yeah. the yeah. what the terms are over there, but yeah. um, for us, but uh, we, uh, we 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 kind of have a different. I don't know if it's different. There are, there are churches who do it, but um, rather than have simply one main preacher, um, we have uh, there's three of us who really share the the bulk of the load, and then all of our elders uh, preach semi regularly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so I preach about a quarter of the time. Um, our lead pastor preaches about half the time. Another guy preaches, you know, a quarter, a little bit less, and then the other guys fill in from there. Yeah. Um, so it's been really a kind of a fruitful way to do it. Um, yeah. it. It makes Sunday mornings a little bit less stressful, especially when we've got we all of us have young children. <laughs> sure. And so uh, trying to navigate those things, um, but uh, but it's been it's been really great. The Lord's been good to us uh, in in terms of the the growth and some some baptisms and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and we've had to weather. You know, a number of different storms our, our we've had building issues from the beginning in terms of where we could meet. Yeah. Um, our, our original location uh, actually blew up, literally like had a gas leak and the building exploded. Wow. Uh, um, two people died. There was a school and, and uh, yeah. it, was, it was a horrible Yeah. situation. Uh, and then that kind of put us out out on the street. And so then we were meandering around and we finally this year um, we had landed in a building and it was an old um, Episcopal church. Historic Episcopal Church um, mm. uh, here in St. Paul, and uh, we were renting it, and then this year it came available to buy, and so we purchased it back in February, yeah. and yeah. then haven't been able to use it because of, <laughs> of coronavirus. Wow! So we we have this you know great new building that we were really excited. Now we now it's ours, yeah. And we've been uh, doing online, and then meeting in parks over yeah. the summer.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. So how did you actually become a Christian?
1: Uh, I grew up in West Texas, yeah. um, and my family were uh, attended church, mm-hmm. uh, I would say, kind of, uh, when I was younger, I would say nominal Christians. Yeah. Um, and then when I was about, uh, oh man, I want to say eight or nine, we moved from the church that we'd been at since I was a baby. I was uh, baptized as a, as a, we were a Presbyterian church,
0: yeah.
1: uh, but they moved across, my parents moved across town to uh, kind of a large Baptist church, and really... Uh, kind of got connected there in a Sunday school class, and uh, that's where my, my my parents' faith I think really solidified. And so I was uh, converted through the preaching of that church. My dad and I actually were baptized together um, when I was about twelve. Uh, so he'd never he'd never been baptized, and mm-hmm. so um, and so I became a Christian there when I was about twelve, and then just kind of grew up in a in. A, I would say um, normal American evangelicalism yeah. uh, in in Texas, and then uh, from there I went off to college at Texas A and M University, and uh, it was there that I encountered the the ministry of uh, John Piper, and that was kind of a, a world shaping, uh, paradigm shaping uh, encounter for me, yeah. uh, where where christian hedonism and god is most glorified in me when i'm most satisfied in him that really resonated i saw that in the bible and so i i went in all in on that uh and so then when it came time i felt the call to ministry when it came time to to decide where to go um that was top of the list yeah um was to come to, to bethlehem and do the apprenticeship uh there and so in the providence of god i moved up here in 2005 i uh, was the same year i got married so i actually moved here um about two months before I got married so I moved up and then went back and got a wife and then drove her up into the uh, the cold we're from Texas yeah. right? so the southern yeah. United States up into the uh, tundra of Minnesota uh, as it got colder and darker and colder and darker the farther north we went yeah um, and she was wondering what she'd gotten herself into I think um, but we've been here now for 15 years and uh, and it's been great. I, I um, from after uh, going to school at Bethlehem, Uh, I stuck around and helped to to launch our college program, yeah. Um, And uh, and then as a part of that, then have kind of perpetually been in school. I've been perpetually in school since I was five. Yeah, I'm I'm almost 38. Yeah. Uh, So just it's it's been a long long journey. But thankfully, uh, this past uh, October a year ago, uh, I defended my uh, dissertation and finally got the doctorate and was given the degree in uh in march wow. from union school of theology there in the uk yeah so yeah. um my uh, supervisor was michael reeves who amazing. some of your yep. listeners may be familiar with
0: that's right yeah that's amazing i have no idea how you've had time to write a book but you have and we're really pleased <laughs> you have <laughs> your new book strangely bright give us an overview of it and and tell us how how you actually came to write it as well joe
1: yeah so um so this this book is the uh, it's it's actually kind of a strange it's a strange way to write a book I, I suppose um, uh, so I mentioned you know I became a Christian hedonist yeah. so someone who believes that God's passion for His glory and and our passion for joy come together and we glorify God by delighting in Him uh, in college uh, and that em- embracing that as kind of a, the biblical um, way of approaching life solved some problems like what do i do with this desire for happiness Hmm. but it created other problems like Hmm. okay if i'm supposed to treasure god above everything if he's the he's the most important what do i do with all the other stuff what do i do with all the other good things in my life like my wife and my kids and my food and so forth yeah and uh, there's a tension there that i think a lot of christians feel and uh, i felt that tension for years and so about i want to say now it's been seven or eight years ago um i really started thinking i want to write on this Hmm. uh and so that that basically became a book called "The Things of Earth," uh, treasuring God by enjoying His gifts, which came out a couple of years ago. And that was a big book. That was kind of like a, um, yeah, I don't remember how how many pages, but it was it was a substantial book. Yeah. And uh, and I was really happy with it, and it really explored this in, in a lot of facets that question of how do we glorify God through through the things He's made. Um, but one of the things that that stuck with me about it is I, I think because it was a big book um, it was hard for some people to, to really get into. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was intimidating. Uh, I'm a professor and so I sometimes write like one. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and so there was a, there were some barriers and, and I really wanted more people to be able to, to get the heart of that book even if they didn't get all of the details. And so from there I I worked with Crossway and said, could we, could we do kind of a a re not, not just like a, a condensing, not just pull out excerpts, but like a, A re-envisioning, shorter, more accessible, um, still have all the beer and the bacon, um, but but really get something that's a little bit tighter that is the sort of book you could give to really any lay Christian um, to help them as they think through how do they glorify God through the things he's made. Mm. And they were willing to do it. And so Strangely Bright was born.
0: Excellent. Sounds good. So you've mentioned this term a couple of times, Christian hedonism. Tell us about what that actually is, Joe.
1: Yeah, so um, it's a uh, provocative term that um, you know uh, uh, Pastor Piper uh, coined. Um, although in some ways, I think it actually goes back to C.S. Lewis. The, the concepts are ancient, yeah. Bible, you know, church history. The terminology, even you know, C.S. Lewis says that God is a hedonist at heart and and talks a lot about the quest for joy and things like that. Mm. So um, and and had a, had a profound influence on Piper. But the basic idea is that. Um, we're all wired for pleasure. We're, we're, we can't help. It's an inescapable fact about human beings that we want to be happy. And we want to seek pleasure. And what uh, what Piper, in his own um, way, has communicated is, is drawn out from the scriptures that yes, we were created for that because we were made to be happy in God. And so the way that we glorify God, the way we honor and magnify His worth and value is by delighting in him supremely above everything else he -hmm. he's our treasure he's our highest joy Um, in his presence is fullness of joy and his right hand are pleasures forevermore that sort of core idea um, that that's how we glorify god that's the basic christian hedonist truth he sums it up as god is most glorified in me when i am most satisfied in him and so that's christian hedonism uh, and I think it's it's a it's faithful. It's biblical. I think we, we've, you see it throughout the theologians of church history, communicating it in their own way. But the substance is, is there.
0: Yeah. It's a common tension in the Christian life to feel pulled between loving God above all things and loving and enjoying the things on this earth. What is the biggest That's... misconceptions for someone struggling with this tension?
1: Yeah. So um, I think there's a, a number of them. So w- one of them um, is uh, the dan- There's a the danger of worldliness. Yeah, um, which I think people rightly feel, and I think um, one of the things that you know Piper has gone around doing is trying to explode a, a kind of worldliness that's very comfortable and at ease in modern society, um, and that just wants to live a, a good middle class lifestyle and and not go to hell. Yeah. And he wants to say there's more than that. God God made us for more than that. Jesus purchased more than that for us. We should not settle for mud pies in the slums when when we're offered um, eternal joy in God himself. Mm-hmm. That's one danger. But then if you embrace that, if, if that settles in and you really believe everything's about God, um, I exist for him, I exist to find my deepest delight in him, and then you run into Bible passages um, like uh, Psalm uh, 73, mm-hmm. Whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth there is nothing I desire besides you? Mm-hmm. And you and you say, yeah, that's a faithful prayer. That's a good prayer. I want to pray that. I want to sing that. But then you have to ask, but do I really mean it? Uh, there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Like I don't desire anything else other than God. And then that's that's what creates this tension where you look down. You know, you're singing that at church, and then you look down the row at your family and go, well, I, I kind of. Del- desire them
0: yeah, yeah and
1: then you think about lunch later in the day and you say i kind of want that too yeah. so what do i mean when i say there's nothing on earth i desire besides you so that's i think the tension i think the, the misconception is that um because of truths like that uh in the bible um, that jesus is better you know the steadfast love of the lord is better than life or um, I count everything as rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus because yeah. of those passages yeah. that then what we're called to do as Christians is keep everything else at arm's length um, we you know don't really uh, enjoy your family don't really enjoy your food don't really enjoy your hobbies or the creation or things that God has made keep them at arm's length because you don't want them to become idols. There's a good pious desire underneath it but it kind of gets twisted into a, a wrong kind of guilt orientation to, earthly goods um, that i don't think honors god and i don't think is what he intends yeah uh, and so i i think a big part of the the book is trying to relieve and reorient that low-grade guilt that people feel whenever they really enjoy uh, an earthly pleasure
0: yeah in that re- reorientation you describe two different approaches approaches to loving god and also loving his gifts what are these two approaches joe
1: right so um i I basically say um when i read the bible we have this one set of passages which i already mentioned the what i call totalizing passages they're the ones Mm -hmm. that basically say it's all god um nothing i desire besides you everything's rubbish compared to knowing jesus um i set my mind on things above not on things on the earth that's one set of passages but there's this other set of passages um which basically says God richly provides us with everything to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6, or everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, 1 Timothy 4. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, James chapter 1. So there's these two different sets of passages, and what I say is they they really give us two different approaches to God and His gifts. Um, The first set, those totalizing passages, give us a comparative approach. And and what I mean by that is... um, Basically, you know, take a set of scales and put God on one side of the scales and put everything else on the other. And then you say, which one is more valuable and which one do I want? If I can only, if I can only have one, yeah. which one do I want? Which one do I need? Which one must I have? And the only answer for a Christian is God himself. Yeah. And, that, and that's what's being communicated in there's nothing I desire besides you. If I only can have God or the world, everything in the world— I want God he I was made for him that's a comparative approach the other passages give us what I call an integrated approach where you don't set God and his gifts in sort of opposition to each other separating them to compare them and how valuable they are but instead uh, in the words of Charles Simeon um, we enjoy God in everything and we enjoy everything in God and so they're integrated they come together and so in, in this in this way of thinking which I think is all over the Bible um, the things of earth are essentially, um, avenues, ways that God reveals himself to us and therefore that we can follow these things of earth back to find a deeper and more lasting satisfaction in him yeah. because we know that he's the source of all these things. He gave them to us so that we would enjoy them and so that we would know him through them. Uh, and so those are the two approaches and, uh, the, the book is basically me trying to talk about how those two approaches uh, relate to one another and how we should use them in a very practical uh, way.
0: Yeah, so good. What can Christians do to help God against us becoming really greedy?
1: Right. Well, so this is the danger. Right? As soon as you start telling people that God uh, richly provides yeah. you with everything to enjoy. I mean, that, yeah. that, that passage, uh, I don't think we really think about how striking that passage is in First mm. Timothy, because in First Timothy 6, Paul tells Timothy to... He has a word for the rich in this present age. So this is a word for rich people, which probably if we live in the West um, is all of us compared to everybody who's ever lived in history. We are unfathomably wealthy. So this is addressed to us. And the first parts of that exhortation are things that we would expect. Don't be haughty. Don't be proud. Rich people can be proud. Don't be proud. If you're rich, don't be proud. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Rich people do that. They, they, they trust in their riches and not in God. uh, But they're uncertain. Moths can break in, or moss can rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Yeah. Don't set your hope. So far, so good. Set your hope on God. Yes, we're Christian hedonists. All of that makes sense. And then he reminds the rich that this God that they're to hope in richly provides them with everything to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And you it just pulls me up short, and I think, well, I don't know that you want to say to the rich that God gave them all their stuff to enjoy. That that really Maybe it begins to sound a little bit like the health wealth and prosperity gospel yeah yeah um and we don't want to go there right yeah. paul help us out well the thing is paul doesn't stop there he says god richly provides us with everything to enjoy and then he says they are to be generous yeah open-handed ready to share um rich in good works and so he says it's not just that god gives you these gifts for your enjoyment but he gives them to you so that you can be a, a channel and an avenue of, of blessing to others to to sacrifice for the good of others so I, I say in the book that um, generosity is a fundamental test to see whether your integrated joy, enjoying God and everything and everything in God, is really a joy in God, or is it is it an idolatrous enjoyment of the gifts? Yeah. H- how do you tell? Well, yeah. can you part with the gifts? Can you receive them, enjoy them in a fitting way, and then send, send them on? Use your time and your talent and your treasure uh, in service of others um loving others denying yourself in order that others might be happy in god Um, so generosity is a really fundamental test so that this doesn't become the kind of worldliness that say the apostle john says don't love the world or the things in the world right i'm writing a book about hey love the world and the things in the world and you have a bible verse that says the opposite well We mean different things. He means don't enjoy them in this idolatrous way. Don't don't set your hope on them. And I'm saying, right, don't set your hope on them. Set your hope on God. But once you've done that, they're still there, and God intends to reveal himself to you in them.
0: Yeah. You touched on it a second ago. You mentioned self-denial. What does biblical self-denial actually look like, and, and, and practically, how does that play out in a Christian's life?
1: I think this is a big question. I think this is where C.S. Lewis is so helpful. Yeah. Um, because he, he uh, I forget where it, where it is in his writings, but he distinguishes between what he calls Christian self-denial and pagan self-denial. Um, and pagan self-denial is basically you deny yourself whatever it is you're denying because it's bad, mm. right? So you, you don't eat that food because it's bad. You don't drink that drink because it's bad. You abstain from sex or marriage because it's bad. And that's, um, in the biblical terms, that's demonic. Like Paul says... People who the teaching of demons is, you know, abstain from marriage and foods that God created to be enjoyed. Um, and so that's pagan self-denial. Biblical self-denial says, I'm going to deny myself this thing because it's good. Yeah. It's because it's good that I'm going to give it up. And that seems strange to us. Um, but it's not that strange. It's I'm designing my, de- de- denying myself this lesser good uh, in order that I can have the ultimate good that is God. So yeah. – um, and, and even in that, the ultimate good who is God that we get in return for our self-denial um, comes to us in a thousand ways through the things that he has made. So it's interesting that when Jesus commends self-denial, there's this great, there's this great passage in Scripture where Peter comes to Jesus. I think it's after the rich young ruler just got sent away, mm-hmm. and Jesus says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom, easier for a camel to go through a eye of a needle. And Peter goes, Lord, we left everything to follow you. Like, hey, look at me. Uh, I, I'm denying myself. Yeah. And Jesus says, he's not, he's not super impressed. Yeah. He says, look, whoever has left father and mother and houses and you know wives, if you've left those things for my sake, mm-hmm. you will receive back in this life houses and mothers and brothers and wives and in the age to come eternal life that's a puzzling thing because you go well if, so you're saying if I give up a, if I leave my wife for the sake of Jesus I get a wife back If I leave my house for the sake of Jesus I get a I get a house back that doesn't seem to always happen but I think the point is that the uh, what Jesus is communicating is the whatever you gave up is never God never you never come out on the short end of that stick yeah. right if you give something up God gives it back and He might give it back you give up your family because they don't like that you became a Christian and then what does God give you he gives you the church a new yeah. family yeah. To embrace you as your true brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, you know, yeah. it, and uh, and then ultimately you get an age to come eternal life. And so there's no losing in self-denial. But so the self-denial is important. It's a call. It's Calvary Road. Take up your cross. Be like Jesus and and uh, move toward need and toward suffering. But do so knowing that whatever you give up, God will give back to you with interest.
0: Yeah. You've touched on it a few moments ago about the prosperity gospel and, and and also self-denial there, Joe. I mean, it's a very different thing, isn't it? It's a heart thing in terms of you, you see the language used by a lot of the prosperity teachers in terms of sowing a seed and, and they'll reap a harvest. And it's very much this, you know, you, you, you well, let's be frank, you, you, you self deny by giving yourself into their ministry. That's where you're sowing a seed. You're basically giving them your money and then they promise that you will be financially rewarded this is a very different right. thing this isn't some sort of you know we're, we're not self-denying ourselves because we then uh in, you know it's not an investment financially for us right it's not that we are doing this because we believe that god is you know going to increase it tenfold like how the prosperity preachers speak right
1: correct that's exactly right so um it's not like a um yeah, it's not like the a 401k or some kind of, you know, smooth <laughs> investment deal. Yeah. Um pure and simple. But th- there is a principle. Like the, the Bible does talk that way, but it always talks that way about you you deny yourself now because yeah. glory's coming. Like yeah. y- God's going to give you he's going to give you everything. Yeah. So why would you settle for the, you know, the the you could have now in in gathering all the wealth you can and sitting on it and enjoying it for your own own selfish interest. Yeah. Um, why settle for that when God's offering you everything? He, Jesus died to give you everything. Um, but now He wants you to He's He's giving you what He's given you in order that you might use it in the cause of love. Yeah. Um, and He promises you Himself, His presence. He promises you um, the kind that kind of joy that comes through that. Not not um, it's not if there's a uh, a currency exchange that happens. Yes, you sacrifice, say your your wealth, or, or even if you don't have a lot of wealth, your time, yeah. um, your whatever whatever you've been given, whatever talent you've been given, you put that to use, um, trusting God, relying on his his grace, and putting it to use. And then um, there's a currency exchange. You, you don't get the maybe the money back exactly, but yeah. you get something better. You get him. You get yeah. um, joy in in God.
0: Yeah. Excellent. What is the prosperity gospel and why is it so dangerous?
1: I mean, I think that it, it does two things. Um, one is what we just talked about, where it, it, sees, it sees everything in very materialistic, earthly terms, pure and simple. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to thread a needle here in, in these you know, two books that I've written, where I'm saying I want to affirm the goodness of creation and the goodness of wealth and the goodness of all of these things. And at the same time, recognize they're not ultimate,
0: yeah.
1: and 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 that worldliness and greed are real and present and constant dangers for everyone. Yeah, um, and they're the kind of dangers that get you sent to hell. They're not. They're not little. Um, Jesus has some strong words for the rich, yeah. uh, and how hard it is for them to enter the kingdom. So that's one danger is that they th- see things narrowly. I think actually, in some ways, the bigger danger, because there is truth to the fact that there have been times in my life where I've made a sacrifice and God has blessed it, and it's come back, you know, in ways that I couldn't even have have foreseen yeah. uh, and and things have sort of come back around and god has blessed me in some ways okay? yeah. that happens and the prosperity gospel picks that up what they lack is a really biblical theology of suffering yeah which um so that so that it's not just that they say if you if you sow the seed you get the you get the harvest in this life um, it's that if you sow the seed the bad things won't happen to you. And so if the bad things are happening to you, if hard things, it must be because you don't have enough faith. Yeah. It must be because you're not doing something right. Uh, because if if you're a child of the king, and if you're were, if you a child of the king, bad things don't happen to you. Claim your victory. And so something must be deficient in you if you're not. And I think that, it, I mean, that's that's evil. That's just flat out unbiblical evil teaching right there. Um, and so one of the chapters in, in uh, Strangely Bright addresses the, the question of suffering because mm-hmm. the reality is, you I'm. I'm saying, enjoy the things of earth, and you're going to lose all of them.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: You're going to lose every. I mean, I remember there was this moment. This was back when I was first developing um, a lot of the concepts in the book, and I was preaching a sermon at Bethlehem and was on, on this topic, and I was excited about it, ready to preach on the two approaches to you know um, comparative approach, integrated approach. So I'm up. I'm at the church working on this, and Piper walks by. And you know, I say, "Hey, come here real quick." I'm I'm preaching this weekend. I want to tell you what I'm going to preach on. So I kind of walk through the sermon, and I'm talking about you know, you dive into the gifts that God gives, every good and perfect gift. You dive into the gifts, and then you chase them back, and so that you, you enjoy Him. So you enjoy God and everything, and every in God, everything in God. So that you, you enjoy the things of earth, right? Yeah. And yeah. and John looks at me in his his typical way, and he goes, "Until you die."
0: <laughs>
1: and I was like, "Well, that's that's true. That's very that's very true. Until you die." So how does death, how does suffering, how, do, how does the loss uh, play into this? And, and for me, I think this is one of the main burdens I have, is a wrong view of enjoying God's gifts inevitably leads to a wrong view of grieving the loss of His gifts. Yeah. So if you feel guilty because you you think you're enjoying your family too much and then your child dies... Um, you're going to feel a kind of guilt in the grief that you feel in that loss, which will hinder your ability to honor God in the grief and to actually heal from the loss. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, I know people who have felt like when God has taken some, some gift, usually it's a person, it's a child, it's a parent, it's a sibling, it's a spouse. Somebody's dying and they feel this, I'm that My grief is so intense that God must not be pleased with it. Yeah. And part of what I'm wanting to say is, no, what joy in God's gifts looks like when they're being torn from our hearts is it looks like lots of tears and weeping and throwing yourself on the floor and crying out and moans. It's tearing. It's sackcloth and ashes. Like that's that's how Bible characters grieve. That's how uh, Jesus grieves. Yeah. And so we should think that we're we have to take it you know sort of with a stiff upper lip and and uh and be stoic about loss in order to honor god let you know we don't want these things to be too precious to us mm-hmm. instead it's we're going to press into that pain and we're going to say god the reason so I, my dad died uh about seven years ago um and uh of of dementia and alzheimer's a so long painful slow death mm-hmm. I, I miss my dad i wish he was still here but the only way I'm going to honor God in that is if I press into that pain and say, God, you, you gave me a dad because you wanted me to know what you're like. Yeah. And so losing my dad hurts because I want to know what you're like. Like That's the ultimate reason. And I, so I miss him because he was a good and perfect gift to me. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I want people to be able to grieve well. And, and that's something that the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel can't, can't absorb, can't do, can't – they, they totally wreck people because of their theology of suffering and i want people to have a really good theology of suffering that grieves the way that job grieves that david grieves and that jesus grieves yeah
0: so helpful thank you you've written how baseball which by the way if you're listening in the uk that's basically cricket <laughs> <laughs> i would say it's cricket but glorified it's,
1: it's, what, it's what cricket always wanted to be um, but never could quite until it was planted in a new soil um, across the pond, and then in that new soil, it grew up and became baseball. <laughs>
0: Joe, don't be surprised if that don't make the edit. That little, that little bit there.
1: If that gets cut, I'll just, I'll just know it was, it was censorship. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> You've written how baseball is a helpful illustration of the ideas that you present in your book. Tell us why that is.
1: So yeah, I grew up in a baseball family. My, my grandfather uh, played and managed in the major leagues. Uh, and, uh, my dad was in baseball, uh, front, you know, the, the business side of baseball yeah. for a number of years. And my bro- I have two brothers. We all played baseball growing up. I coached little league for my boys. I'm just, I, I love, I love all things about baseball. And yeah. so one of the chapters in the book is basically me reveling in the goodness, all the different ways, not all of them, but a, a good number of the ways that I have been blessed by baseball, mm. um, whether it's the kind of recreational, you know, um, the health aspect, it's fun. You get to run around, blood pumping. Uh, whether it's some of the kind of more strategic and other strategy involved, just like there is in lots of different sports um, that's, that's uh, enjoyable, the, the camaraderie with teammates or, or coaching with kids or, or whatever. There's all kinds of good things that are happening in baseball. And really what I wanted to do was to basically, it's a, it's a case study. It's saying, here, here's one of mine. This is one of the gifts that God's given to me mm-hmm. and that I enjoy. And here's how I'm thinking through it. Here's how I'm trying to receive it with gratitude and chase it back to the source and glorify God in it. Mm. And then it's basically then a, a, a an exhortation and a commendation to the reader to say, now you go find yours. Maybe yeah. it's not baseball. Maybe it's cricket. Um, <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's soccer or whatever. You know, maybe yeah. it's it has nothing to do with sports at all. Maybe it's it's uh, knitting. Maybe, who, who knows? I like there's so many, and I and and you shouldn't feel restricted to other people's you should find yours what what are the good and perfect gifts that God has put in front of you Um, and that he he's trying he's he's shouting at you right that um, part a big part of the book is the heavens declare the glory of God and not just the heavens like everything God made in some way reflects him yeah and so are you are you attentive do you hear what he's saying are you are you alive and awake and alert to the way that he's revealing himself to you in all that he's made And so that last chapter is really kind of a, let's get real concrete and give you a little window into my life and then sort of turn you loose Um, with the boundaries in place of these tests, generosity, and how do you endure suffering? Do you curse God? All of these tests are there to make sure that we don't go off the rails and become idolaters. But then within those boundaries, man, God has lavished us. He is so kind uh, and he's lavished us with this world um, so that we would know him in it. And so go find him.
0: Yeah. Brilliant! I know a lot of people have uh, jumped on the wonderful works of God by Bavnik. Um, has that, Have yeah. you read that? Has that been an influence uh, for you uh, in writing? It, this book?
1: it hasn't. Um, I've, I haven't had a chance to to read that one. I've read a number of other things by him, uh, and find him to be an incredible, incredibly perceptive uh, theologian, mm. and very pastoral too. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think there's. You know, um, I don't think I'm saying anything new uh, in what I'm writing. And so when, uh, when people find resonances, um, you know, there's, there's self conscious uh, uh, sources for yeah. me, people that I know have influenced, yeah. like C.S. Lewis and Jonathan Edwards and yeah. people like that. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also um, just, we're all reading the same Bible and saying yeah. God is. This. Yeah. I, I do know, uh, I think, I think Bavink has a place where he talks about um, just the, the different metaphors. Uh, that scripture uses to sort of communicate what God is like. And I remember reading that and thinking, yes, that's that's right. When, when God's a, he's a consuming fire, he's a rock, he's yeah. a lion. Yeah. All of these things are earthly things that are revealing something, you know, a little window into what God is like. And so we should really pay attention. We should study the works of the Lord, uh, the wonderful works of God, so that we can know him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know you've spent a lot of time around John Piper. What's he like and what's your favourite John Piper moment?
1: Oh man! Um, the "Until You Die" one may be one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> I, I've got, I've got another one. I don't know if it will quite resonate with with the UK audience, but I'll tell it. So, uh, yeah. John is the same on on stage as he on on a platform as he is off. Yeah. Um, he he um, he has that the same uh, God centered um, pastoral life is you know, blood earnest but deeply joyful. Um, he's incredibly thoughtful. Um, and, uh, and I've, I, he's been a great mentor and friend for the last 15 years. Yeah. Uh, and I'm grateful that I get to partner with him in, in a whole host of ways at, at Bethlehem. Uh, so I'm really grateful for him, uh, and his, his family, um, probably, you know, one of the favorite stories. Uh, so I, like I said, I'm from Texas and I'm, and I know, I'm sure that, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, you guys over there across the pond have stereotypes of americans and i think that texans have their own sort of independent stereotype (laughs) um right and uh and 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 some of it's deserved um most of it's probably deserved so um so i'm from texas and uh, i remember one time sitting in a sermon that piper was preaching and uh and he was talking about living in the inner city here in minneapolis and and trusting god and not you know and, and i think he he basically in, in a loud exclamatory voice voice said you know talking about safety and things like that and he says you know there's never been a gun in my house <laughs> and uh, the thing was is that when my wife and i first moved to minneapolis we actually ended up living in his basement for about 3 or 4 years you know he has a basement apartment and yeah. so we my wife and i live there and so when he said there's never been a gun in my house i'm sitting in the audience going that's not quite true <laughs> because because you can take Texas, you can take the boy out of Texas, <laughs> but you can't take Texas out of the boy. Yeah. And so there, there may have, may or may not have been a uh, a long, tall Texan with a with a firearm, protect you know, standing watch at uh, at the, at the uh, pastor's house um, whenever you know the people are banging on the doors. So that that was that's a fun a fun Piper story. He gets a kick out of that one too.
0: That's brilliant. I love that. So good, Joe. I don't know if you'd ever have time, so I, I, this might be a silly question, but do you have any other books or projects planned at the moment?
1: <laughs> uh, actually, I do. do you? Um, wow. okay. So I've got so Strangely Bright's coming out, obviously, in the next uh, – it comes out in August. Yeah. And uh, and then in – I think it's coming out in February. Um, I actually have a, a book um, on fighting sexual, sexual sin, pornography, yeah. things like yeah. that. Um, That's a major area of focus I've had in my ministry. Uh, I've worked with college students, and so that's a a perennial kind of um, struggle. And uh, and so over the years, I've kind of um, worked with a lot of guys. Um, I've benefited from it from my own struggles when I was in college and had to really work through how do you fight this insidious, accessible, anonymous sin um, in a way that's faithful. Mm -hmm. And so the book's called uh, More Than a Battle – yeah. And, uh, and it's basically, um, an attempt to, you know, there's kind of three different metaphors that often get used in talking about the fight with sexual sin in particular. Mm. There's the, the battle metaphor, you know, so we're fighting a, a battle, a struggle against lust. Um, there's a, a kind of a, an addiction metaphor, um, where it really focusing on the bodily elements, uh, of, of that, uh, sin, and where you want to kind of break free from an addiction. Mm-hmm. And then there's a kind of brokenness component where we, want, we need healing from our sexual brokenness. And so there's three different kind of lenses. And and I find that different um, counselors and pastors and authors tend to focus on one almost to the exclusion of the other. Yeah. So they either play up the, the, the uh, military metaphor of the fight, or they play up the brokenness metaphor, or they look at it as addiction. And I just really wanted to say I think all three of these are – true they're really good different lenses and so what if we looked at this struggle kind of holistically like that
0: yeah
1: and so it's a very practical book that it's the kind of book i wrote it basically under with the idea that um churches could basically say to you know maybe their men's ministry or something like that hey here's a good book that you guys could go through Mm. so guys who might be struggling with that sin uh you know and you have a pastor or somebody mentor uh who's going to lead them through to try to um to try to win that battle and you know break free from that addiction and be healed from that brokenness uh and so that one's coming out in february Uh, i'm excited about that one i think and i I hope it's it's a a help
0: yeah well it sounds really helpful joe we'll have to have you back in february so that we can talk about that in more detail that'd be good i'd love love it brilliant so joe last question how do people get in touch with you i know you are on twitter
1: yeah i'm on twitter um so joe underscore rigney is on twitter um if uh, you can e- always email the school Bethlehem College and Seminary, and they can get uh, get uh, any communications uh, to me. I get emails from time to time forwarded to me, uh, and uh, yeah, so I'm I'm hopeful that if people find the book helpful, or or uh, yeah, that that I'm happy to answer questions, and and uh, I get I get encouraged when I hear from people that uh, things that I've written have blessed them. Uh, it 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 energizes me to, to want to keep writing and being faithful in my uh, in my ministry there.
0: Yeah, excellent. Well, what we do is we'll put the link to the, the school, to your email address from the school. Um, we'll put a link to the book and your Twitter handle in the description below this video so you can check that out. Joe, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much.